a million in Zambia, uh, orphaned and vulnerable children. To strike at the roots of poverty in order to really end this pandemic. They need food and they need clean water and they need access to jobs and they need ways to support their families. I remember sitting with this one woman and she was elderly and she hadn't had a job and she was taking care of 15 little grandkids. And I said, how are you staying alive? And she said, I rely on the kindness of strangers. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today is a very special episode. Um, it was a good time for me to talk with my friend, Kathy Headley, who founded Mothers Without Borders, uh, because uh, John and I are on day 10 of doing the Green Smoothie Girl Detox, and I feel like a million bucks, but we eat less. And um, I find that going along with that, I give thanks more and I think about food more than I do when I have just kind of unlimited food around me and there's a grocery store a mile away. And so it's a great time for me to think about uh, people who are further away on this planet who are suffering. And the great quote that came out of this episode uh, was a little story that Kathy will tell you, a woman who takes care of 15 uh, grandchildren, many of their parents had been orphaned, who says, I rely on the kindness of strangers. And so I'm really excited to introduce you to, you've probably met her before if you follow me on social media or uh, on our newsletter, but Kathy Headley, who has for 30 years given her life full time, um, including while she was a single mom raising four children by herself, which is uh, part of what made me really resonate with what she was doing and her message when I heard her speak at BYU 11 years ago at Education Week. Um, I, I heard her speak and I was like, I have to get involved. And I invited her over to my home and I met with her and I said, I just want to help however I can. And over the years, I've I've um, done a variety of fundraisers, including one time when I ate nothing but green smoothies for 30 days and asked my uh, audience to help. This year, we're taking it much bigger, and I'm asking you to uh, look deep inside your heart and see when you hear about the plight of the people in Zambia, if you're willing to be part of the solution and help with the needs of Mothers Without Borders. Um, and these are um, women who have given their entire career to not just their four, their four children or their, their two children or whatever, but actually um, hopping the globe to uh, give and give and give. So I'm excited to introduce you to my good friend, Kathy Headley, who is a real deal. She is very much who she sounds like she is. So welcome to the Vibe Show, Kathy Headley of Mothers Without Borders. Thank you. I am very happy to be here, Robin. So we had lunch in September and Green Smoothie Girl gave you um, our first check for folks who are doing our Flash Fast, which is our three-day modified fast. And... Anybody who participates, we feed a child in Zambia for three days. And, you know, I've already explained um, to my audience how I met you. Why don't you tell your story of how you came to fly to Zambia and spend a lot of your life over there and give a lot of your life to 500 kids? Tell your story. 
Okay. Um, well, I actually started Mothers Without Borders um, right around 1989 and was working in Mexico and then in Romania and a bunch of other different countries. Um, and our, our primary mission is um, nurturing and caring for orphaned and vulnerable children. And so I kind of went wherever there was um, a need, wherever there was a large population of orphaned and vulnerable kids, and that's led me all around the world. And in about 1996, it became pretty clear to me that the biggest um, amount, the largest amount of orphaned and vulnerable children were being, uh, was happening in Africa, on the continent of Africa, uh, primarily due to the AIDS pandemic, but there are a lot of other things, war and unrest and other diseases and other reasons why, why kids end up um, losing their families. And so in uh, about 2000, made the decision to move all of our work um, out of the other countries that we'd been in around the world and focus everything exclusively into Zambia. And so I got on a plane and flew to Zambia in the year 2000 and began meeting with community leaders and other local people and organizations who were working to meet the needs of the orphan and vulnerable children in their communities. And our primary purpose at Mothers Without Borders is to look for ways that we can partner with local people who are looking to meet the needs of orphaned and vulnerable children in their communities. And how can we help them? How can we help them expand their capacity? How can we help them improve the quality of their programs? What can we do to help? How can we be a good partner to really good people who are trying to um, solve a very terrible problem? So in Zambia, there are over a million um, orphaned and vulnerable children. And just in sub-Saharan Africa and the countries that make up sub-Saharan Africa, it's estimated there, there's more than 160 million orphaned and vulnerable children there. So there's plenty of work to go around and there's plenty of need and there are plenty, plenty of really good people both on this side of the ocean and that side who want to make a difference. And I wanted to be a part of that. A million in Zambia, uh, orphaned yeah. and vulnerable children. How Can you talk a little about what these children are facing? Because it's entirely different and more desperate than anything that, you know, American children are really facing. Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Um, it, it's a really big problem um, because what happens with these children is, um, a fair number of them, uh, it's very difficult to come up with exact numbers because this is always shifting and moving and changing. But of these million children, what that means is that many of them are either living in the streets, they are living in what are called child-headed households. And a child-headed household is just that. It's where the oldest sibling is the one that ends up taking responsibility for that household. And in many cases, the oldest sibling is nine or 10 years old. So we interact with a lot of child-headed households. That's our primary um, area of focus is child-headed households. Although we do get a fair amount of street kids that come also across our, our path that we look to help. And then the rest of the kids are with extended family in some fashion. They're either with an aunt or an uncle or with an elderly grandparent. And in any case, they're all in situations where they are economically very, very vulnerable. 
Um, in most cases, these families that have taken on additional children, we meet grandmothers all the time that are raising 15, 16, 17 grandkids, and they're 80 years old, and they have no way to feed these kids, no way to get these kids into school. Um, so there's a lot of desperation. Uh, there are many, many people that I would say probably 80% of the people that we work with only eat three to four times a week, maximum. People just, they eat one meal in a day, maybe three times a week. And now there's a big hunger crisis going on in Zambia because of a drought. They've been having a drought for six or seven years and last year was the worst year. And so there are just many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people that are starving. And so for children, of course, they are the most vulnerable because they have no way to go out and get food for themselves. And so it's a, it's a pretty desperate situation. I don't, there aren't very many um, households that we know of here where people in an entire community would only be eating three meals a week. But that's common over there. Yeah, I want people to think about that three meals a week. It's super ironic that I talk to my North American followers about trying to talk them into doing a three-day modified fast, where in that three-day modified fast, they're going to eat more than the average Zambian child will eat in a week. Exactly. And, you know, that's just that's just the food situation. Um, it was your, you know, you sent out an email very heartfelt email a couple months ago uh, telling those who follow Mothers Without Borders, uh, people like me who've um, followed your work and tried to help for a long time, over a decade now, in my case, um, th that made me say, you know what, I'm going to take this to my uh, newsletter subscribers and my podcast and my social media following and say, hey, will you help me with this? And I will match you. I will match you dollar for dollar, whatever you give. And that's a that's a big, it'll take me the whole year maybe to get the whole, however many dollars that my generous listeners are willing to give to do a monthly sponsorship of a child in Zambia or a one-time donation or whatever they feel they can do. Um, take a deep breath and commit to it. It might take me the whole year of earning to, to give most of it, but it's definitely a goal of mine for this next coming decade. It's like, I've been supporting my family and raising my kids and putting my kids through college, the youngest two are sophomores this year. Um, you know, my focus has been on taking care of my family and it's time for me to spend more focus um, outside my own family. So that's part of what this is about. But there's, there's the fact that um, sub-Saharan Africa has been hit by this terrible drought when they're already... Um, so very poverty stricken. And, and that's, that's one of the biggest issues that you're facing. And that's why you're out saying, hey, we need more help. But can you talk about and this is I know, kind of a sensitive subject, but um, you're one to speak boldly like I am. Uh, these kids are also really vulnerable to sexual predators. And there are some cultural issues in Africa that might be really unfamiliar to North Americans. Can you talk about that and, and how a lot of these kids um are, you know, victims of a ton of child rape. And there isn't like this police force out there making sure the kids are safe. Uh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, so part of the problem, a lot of the problems that we see, so we have a, we help the communities. Our, our primary purpose is to help strengthen communities and um, so that they can meet the needs of the kids in their community. And there are a lot of different ways that we do that. Uh, but one of the ways is <clears throat> that we support communities in their efforts to protect children so that they are physically safe. And unfortunately, once parents die, uh, children are very vulnerable and children all over the world, and we're becoming increasingly aware of the amount of human trafficking that's going on with children. And people that are, that are victims of human trafficking are not always taken out of their country. Human trafficking very often just takes place within neighborhoods and communities and countries. It happens in the United States and it, it happens there. And it's a terrible thing to have to talk about that, that there are these children that because they have no adult to protect them living in their household, then it's very easy for uh, predators to come along and, and use these children um, for in a sexual way. So most of the children that we interact with have suffered abuse. Many of them have, we've pulled them out of situations where they've been trafficked and within their community. And um, I think we're starting to wake up uh, in North America to recognize that this is happening everywhere. And it's something that we need to really um, take a strong stand against morally. I think especially women, we need to stand up and be strong and be vocal and say, this is not okay. We're not going to put up with this and we're not going to be silent and we're going to help these children and, and help support communities who are trying to protect these children. So I'll tell you an interesting thing that happened um, just about four months ago, five months ago. Uh, I was, <laughs> I was in Zambia and, um, my country director over there, who is this very courageous and powerful, wonderful Zambian woman, um, very strong. Her name is Josephine Daka. And Josephine was driving, actually, uh, into a remote community because there was um, a young girl that we were looking to help there who was about six years old. Her mother had just died. And the family needed some money to buy a coffin because they, most of these people are so poor, they can't even buy coffins. And this, this sweet little mother who starved to death, 26 years old, leaving behind this little six-year-old daughter. And it was a very terrible situation. And so we had offered, we said, we, will, we would like to help you by giving you the money for the coffin. Uh, and the family was so very grateful. And um, in the meanwhile, we were trying to make arrangements for this little girl as to where she would go next, so that she would have a safe place to live. So Josephine was busy working on all that. And she was driving on her way to deliver the money for the coffin to this mother. So it was already a very heartbreaking situation. And as she was driving down the road, she came upon this group of women, maybe 12 women, who were blocking the road and, and uh, dragging this man across the road. And so she, as a social worker, um, pulled her car over and went to this group of women and said, and they were kicking this man. And they were really you know, like they were really vocal. And she said, hold on, hold on. What is going on here? What is going on here? And these women turned to her and said, we found this man abusing this girl in our community and we are dragging him to the police post. And so Josephine just said, 
well, well, carry on. And they did. They just dragged this man to the police post where he was then taken into custody. And, and so the people in the communities there are really trying to be vigilant in keeping these kids safe, but they need help and support. And so what Josephine did was say, where is this little girl? And she found out and went, drove back to the community and found this little girl and picked her up and took her to a doctor. And, and now she's living at our um, Children's Resource Center and attending our school and receiving the counseling and the care that she needs. Because as you can imagine, in a situation like that, it requires a lot of care to help someone heal mentally and emotionally um, and physically from that kind of experience. And so we're faced with that all the time. And um, it's challenging. And we think of the AIDS crisis as a thing that happened here in the 1980s. And then we got on top of it with these, you know, immune suppressing drugs. And we don't hear about it as much now. And we don't hear about people dying of AIDS. What's going on over there in Africa? Yeah, so there, there is a lot of medication that's available to people. The problem is um, if someone doesn't have enough to eat... So um, the, the, the medications, so the pharmaceutical companies and governments have come together over the last decade and done a pretty good job of making medication available to people so that they can afford to be treated. But the problem is you have to strike at the roots of poverty in order to really end, really end this, this pandemic. It's, it's sweeping across these countries like wildfire because of poverty. If people don't have enough to eat, then the medication actually destroys their liver, their kidneys, and their abdominal. Their whole microbiome is completely decimated and destroyed, and they die. So, yes, the medications are available, but if somebody doesn't have enough to eat and doesn't have access to clean water, they can't take the medication. And if they aren't strong enough to get to the clinic... The other problem is just actually delivery of services is almost impossible in these remote areas. And so there, it's a very complex problem. So myself personally, I've been working in this field of AIDS awareness and trying to help people that are AIDS infected and AIDS affected for more than 20 years. It is a very complex problem and there are very, very smart people working on it. But the bottom line is we have to strike at the roots of poverty first. We have to start there because if people don't have enough to eat, they can't take their meds. If they can't take their meds, then they're going to die from a common cold because their immune system has been destroyed. If they do take the medicine and they don't have enough to eat, they die of kidney failure or liver failure. And it's a very ugly way to go. So it's a complex problem, and we're looking at community-based solutions and long-range solutions that will help. Everyone over there knows how. Sometimes people say, well, are you doing AIDS education? It's like, let me just tell you, I could bring a six-year-old onto your show, Robin, and they would know more about AIDS than any of your listeners. (laughs) So it's like, trust me, the people over there know how you get AIDS and how it is spread. That isn't the problem. It's not, they don't need information. They need food and they need clean water 
and they need access to jobs and they need ways to support their families so that they can continue to sustain themselves. Yeah, because more than 90% of them in these villages that you serve are unemployed, yeah? Yeah, 90% of the people in in the country of Zambia are not gainfully employed, 90%. Only 10% have what you would consider regular, steady, stable employment. And there's no public education system, right? There is a public education system, but more than 60% of the kids cannot afford to go to school. And when, when kids haven't eaten, they can't walk the two or three miles, which they would have to do. Um, most kids have to walk anywhere from two to seven miles to get to school. And they can't walk those distances when they aren't eating. And if they get there, they can't stay awake because they haven't eaten. So at our school, we have a school. We have a, a large primary school, which we've built in a very um, rural area that has a lot of need. And we built this school as a way to interact uh, with the community. We have 525 students that go to our school free of charge, and we feed them every day. Uh, and so that's one of the big programs that we would like to replicate in different parts of the country so that those kids are having the education they need, but also um, that they're getting fed, that they have food. Uh, the really, I think the email you referred to that was a kind of sad is one I reported we had these little twin, um, these darling twin boys that came on into our first grade this year as our first grade class. And uh, last year, 2019, they came in as first graders and they're, they're malnourished. So they're quite small. They look like they're about four years old, but they're very darling boys. Um, and what we found was that they were bringing a little plastic bag, like a little plastic grocery bag to school every day. And one of them would get his lunch on a plate and the two boys would share that lunch and then they would put the other lunch into this plastic bag and carry it home in an attempt to feed the other 11 people that were living at home that weren't eating. Yeah, this reminds me of a conversation you and I had when we met for lunch in September and I said, yeah, I heard this talk by Peter Diamandis, who's the founder of the X Prize and whatever, and he was talking about how you know, all we need to do to erase this massive illiteracy problem among, you know, tens or tens of millions of people in sub-Saharan Africa is we just like all of us North Americans and U Europeans need to get, you know, a device into the hands of every single African and then they can learn to read because they don't have anything else to do. They don't have TV, they don't have video games and they'll, you know, we just load this, this device with the ability to learn, you know, English or, or languages and you laughed at me. And what did you say? <laughs> well, I, I think I probably said <laughs> I can tend, I tend to be flipped sometimes, so I'm not positive, but I probably said something like Robin, they would sell that in the first 15 minutes that they had it to buy food yeah. because they can't eat the device. And while they value education far above what our kids do. They value education far above what we as parents do. I'll just tell you that right now. I have parents. It would break your heart every single January. So our school starts in January. We just started a new school year this, this week. Um, this today is our first full week of the new school year, 2020, because our school starts in January. Every January when I go to Zambia, 
I will have between three and 400 mothers walk. Some of them seven or 10 miles, these women walk in the pouring rain to meet with me and beg me to put their kids into, into my school. Beg me. Please, 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 madam, I have, my children have no other opportunities. They will die if you don't put them in your school. And I, I you know, I mean, I'm limited. I, I, we fill up every single spot we can. We still have 1,500 kids on our waiting list. And we just, we just opened up, last year we were at 420 students. This year we opened up at 525. We still have over 1,500 kids on the waiting list. These parents will give up everything to educate their kids. Everything. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. So it's not that they don't care about education. It's yeah. that, it's that, you know, it's like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, if you're down yes. there needing air, water, or food, yeah. you can't go up. You, you're not going to sit like a swami and try to download the intelligence of the universe and, and, you know, achieve self-actualization. No, you're down there trying to get enough food to feed your children. And so, um, and that's where we're, where we're trying to help. And um, we're up in our game here at Green Smoothie Girl. Um, and talking about this for the first time on the Vibe Show, the page to either be a monthly sponsor for these kids, they have, Kathy takes so little out of the business. They have like, it's like 5% overhead. I mean, I've been to Kathy's home in Provo, Utah. It is a humble home. This this is not, you know, uh, one of these, um, you know, the United Way CEO makes $600,000 a year or something. She's really in this for the right reasons. And I've known her for, um, 11 years now, and I know how her organization runs and where their heart is. And so there's a lot of the reason why, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to support different um, humanitarian organizations. Why I, I focus here is not that I want Kathy to be broke, but just that, you know, until you're on the inside of it, you don't really know if they're legit or if they just have a nonprofit job and they're making a quarter of a million dollars a year and um, just kind of raising funds and dispersing funds and they're keeping 25% of it. So I, I love what you're doing and it's definitely still not just feeding a man a fish, but teaching a man to fish because of their school and they're getting two meals a day in these kids, which makes these kids, you know, really, really, really appreciate what they have. So the page where I've set up for you to be a monthly sponsor or give a one-time contribution and remember your $1 becomes two because I'm matching it. Uh, if my employees and I have to work harder this year to match your dollars, we will do that. Um, if I have zero profit this year, we will do that. Um, but it's greensmoothiegirl.com slash mothers without borders. And you can learn more about the different opportunities, whether it's monthly sponsorship, whether it's uh, sending your child. I sent two of my four children with Kathy to Zambia. And I'll have Kathy tell um, what her impressions were of working with, well, she's worked with lots and lots of kids. But, you know, I wanted to because it wasn't my daughter's first humanitarian expedition. My daughter, Emma, who graduated college a couple years ago, um, I think it was her third or fourth humanitarian trip. And she paid for herself. Like she would go out door to door and raise, one time she raised a thousand bucks for uh, Mothers Without Borders and or no, that was the Peru trip. I think it was like before I met you, but when she was a kid, she would go out there and pound the pavement and raise money. And, um, she created her own internship in college at this, uh, orphanage in Thailand and went there and worked there and, you know, 
really tried to make improvements in their program and raise money for them. Um, it was life-changing for my children in their, you know, it's like, I'm not like the rich mom who hands out money. My children work hard, but they still, they live in the first world. They've never known anybody who doesn't have enough food. They've never known that. So I'd love for you to talk about the kind of experience that kids like mine and and some of the people who are listening to this, they may not think of themselves as wealthy, but you sure start to think of yourself as wealthy and privileged if uh, you are in North America and you even have enough to eat and have stable uh, roof over your head. What kind of experience do people have who come on your expeditions? What do you do there? I know you're way, Kathy, into personal growth these days and you love teaching the personal growth classes while they're there. They don't do a lot of hard labor at the school, but they get a lot of exposure and get to love on those kids and and see how the other half lives in part of the parts of the world where employment is not even close to guaranteed. Talk about that experience of going on an expedition. Yeah. Um, so our expeditions are really a powerful experience um, for a couple of reasons. We're really looking to our purpose in creating the program was really to create kind of a global awareness initiative and to help people recognize that we are connected and we're all one and uh, that ordinary people are the ones that are making um, the shifts and the changes and the contributions on the planet that are really moving things and making things shift and change. And so um, we wanted to, we really have focused our attentions and our efforts on what I would consider to be like ordinary average people who, like you said, uh, would look at them, look and say, well, I can't, I can't afford to do that kind of an experience. And um, the truth is we, we invite and encourage uh, anybody who goes to fundraise in order to make the trip. Even people who can afford to just pay for it, we encourage them and say, open it up to your friends and your family and your coworkers to say, I want to go here and I want to meet these kids and I want to make a difference in their lives and I want to share a message of hope with people and um, do you want to be a part of it? There are plenty of people who really do care about what's happening in other parts of the world, but for one reason or another, they don't want to go there or it's not a good idea for them to go there. It's not a time in their life to go or health issues would prevent them. So while they care about the people who are struggling in these parts of the world, they know they can't go personally. And so my experience is, and I think what probably... Emma, what she figured out was, hey, other people were willing to help me go have this experience. The other thing I like to tell people is it's not a vacation. So you don't need to worry about that you're trying to fundraise for your vacation because it's not a vacation. <laughs> and if it is, you're going to come back and say, that was the worst vacation I ever took. Because it's really about you going into and what we're able to do because we've been in Zambia has been our regional headquarters now for our projects in Africa for more than 20 years. So we only take volunteers into Zambia because it's very, very safe. It's politically stable. It's economically stable. And there's a huge need. And the people are just very, very sweet and very, very peaceful there. And so that's why we only take volunteers there. Even though we've done uh, community-based projects in many countries 
on the continent of Africa. We only take our volunteers into Zambia because we want you to be safe and we want you to have a really good um, right up front and personal, up close and personal experience with what it's like to live there in Zambia, what it's like. So because we've been there for 20 years, we're able to take you into places where you would not be able to go as a tourist. Where if you just flew to Zambia, you wouldn't be able to go to the places where we're able to take you. And you wouldn't be able to interact shoulder to shoulder with the people and interact with the kids that, that we would give you the opportunity to interact with. So a typical day, uh, we wake up in the morning, we, we all stay together, we, we rent a house over there, and all of our volunteers stay together in that house. We have someone that cooks um, delicious meals for us. Uh, we travel around in a big um, military truck, in the back of a big old military truck, and we do everything together, so it's very safe. And <clears throat> we go into different places. Some days we go into villages and we interact with the women and the families in the villages or we play with the kids. Some days we're in a baby orphanage where you're going to help um, ease the burden of those workers in the baby orphanage by playing with kids and holding kids and feeding kids. Some days you're out at our school, uh, the Mothers Without Borders school, interacting with the kids in the classrooms or on the playground. Some days we're interacting with the women in our business clubs uh, that we ha are helping to teach. So it kind of depends on what your interests are and where you have a passion. We're going we're gonna to match you up and make sure you have opportunity to express yourself there. Sometimes we do some pretty hard labor. Um, sometimes we're digging trenches. Last summer we were putting in a new uh, well. And so our teams were digging 600 meters of trenching in dirt that's like cement. So that was pretty hard work for four months of people doing that, but you're only doing that for a few days, a couple of days here and there, okay? It's not like you're gonna spend your whole time doing that. So we wanna give you a really broad view of what it is like to be um, someone who lives under the radar in the country of Zambia. And so we take you into lots of different settings and situations and let you interact and let you share your heart and your gifts and you're caring with women, with children, with teenagers. Uh, it's a pretty powerful experience for everyone because you come away recognizing, number one, that you have a lot to offer. You have a lot to offer just by being who you are. And secondly, um, the amount of gratitude that is expressed by the people that we work with because they just can't believe that somebody would come halfway across the world just to be kind to them. Somebody that doesn't, they, they know you don't have to go. They're like, this person didn't have to leave their comfortable house and come here, but you did. And so it's, 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 it's life-changing and heart-changing for everybody that's involved. And that makes it a really powerful experience. One of my old tennis teammates before I moved up here to Park City, um, I think has come with you a few times and fundraised for you and is really passionate about what you're doing. And she's uh, like me, a single mom, and she's a nurse and, you know, she's making ends meet. And somehow she manages to uh, get to Africa two or three times now. Cindy Mason, 
yeah. our, our mutual friend. And, um, you know, it's been uh, life changing for her and, and her family. It's not, I've noticed it's not always the wealthy who send their kids there or who make big sacrifices. So I hope that um, if you're listening, that you'll look in your heart and look in your pocketbook and see what you can afford to give here because not everybody can send their child for over $2,000 to have this third world experience, which will really change their perspective of being a citizen of the world. And I highly recommend that if you can, if you can send your child on this, you know, I saved my pennies for a while um, for that. And then um, I'll never be sorry that my kids went on that. They also had some fun. It is very fun. It, there is a lot of fun. I mean, let me, I mean, they're like, where else can we ride around in the back of this military truck and wave at people and, and just people, it is a fun, it's a very, it's a powerful and it's a very fun experience. And I would say that 80% of the people that come with us use our fun, the fundraising um, ideas and things that we give them. Um, we help them set that up because you want to open it up to as many people as you can to be a part of this work. And that's really what you're doing is saying to someone by you. So for a lot of kids, I've had, I had a little a high school student, one of my neighbors came and visit, she came and sat with me a couple of days ago and said, I really want to go, but I don't know how I can possibly pay for it. My dad's been out of a job for a year. There's no way I can ask my parents to help. And I said, well, do you think you know a hundred people who would give you $50 if you explain to them what you want to do and why. And she said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, go home and make a list of everybody you can think of. And she came back um, yesterday and she had like 72 names. And I said, okay, now you need to reach out to each one of those personally and tell them what you want to do and ask them to help you do it. And, you know, she called me today and left a message. I haven't spoken to her yet, but she said, I've already talked to three people and they've agreed to help me. And so I said, just keep going, just keep going. And then you can ask people, who do you know that would maybe want to help me? So don't let it stop you. Uh, very few people that go with us can write a check. Most of them have to re and that's uncomfortable for us too. We we're uncomfortable asking for help, but I've learned that from my friends in Zambia. They're so humble and they just are. When I, I, I remember sitting with this one woman just about a year ago and, and she was elderly and she hadn't had a job in like 15 years and she was taking care of 15 little grandkids. And I said, how on earth are you feeding them? Every how are you feeding them? How are you staying alive? And she said, I rely on the kindness of strangers. And I, I just started to weep. I thought, I don't have that kind of, I don't have that kind of faith. I don't. Um, and she did. She just said, Kathy, I rely on the kindness of strangers. And then she giggled and she said, look, you're here today. And it's true. I, I said, yes, and I'm giving you a bag of mealy meal. <laughs> so here you go. I mean, it's just, this is how we interact. And this is how we create peace on the planet is we say, and one of Mothers Without Borders, one of our big beliefs is we believe that we belong to each other. And so we take care of each other. And we believe that on a global level, we believe that we belong to each other. And so we take care of each other. 
And so if people are listening and this touches their heart and they say, I want to do something, go talk to your family and say, can we support a child in school for $40 a month? Can we do that as a family? Can we make a commitment? Can we do half of that? Can we support three kids in school? You know, what can we do? And, and become a part of this global community that says we believe in each other and we believe that we belong to each other and we're going to take care of each other. $40 a month supports a child, gives, gives him or her an education and two meals a day. What else? What, what are the other needs in 2020? Mothers Without Borders has what specific needs that $40 supports a child? What, what else? Isn't there like a $200 level or... Yeah, so with the kids that we have to bring into our center, so we have a children's resource center, which is reserved just to bring kids in that really are found in crisis. Most of these kids are coming out of trafficking situations or just have just, you know, been abused. So like the one little girl I was describing to you, she had just been abused hours earlier. And we brought her into our center and she lives there now and we're taking care of her. That costs about $250 a month to keep a child there in our center because we have, uh, we have a large staff that takes care of them. Um, and of course they have medical needs and they have mental health needs and then educational needs and, and different things like that. that so that's a little more expensive. Um, and we have about 52 kids usually. We've had about probably 450 to 500 kids go through that program. But right now we have uh, 52 kids in this, in that program. And that costs about $250 a month. So if there's someone out there who says I could give $250 a month, they could dedicate that and say, I want that to go to one of the children at the children's resource center. And like I said, these are children that we have rescued from a pretty terrible situation. Um, and then we also have a program that we're looking to support where these um, volunteer community-based health workers go out into the community and they're serving in a community of like 250,000 people, 80% of whom are very, very sick and everyone is poor. And they are, we're looking for those for donors, that's about $100 a month to support those community-based health workers. And they're, like I said, they're making inroads and serving quarter of a million people, women and children. Well, very inspiring. Everything that you do, 30 years now of Mothers Without Borders. Um, and I'm really happy to step up a bit more this year and glad to hear about your specific needs of the Children's Resource Center and your desire to expand uh, the services that you're providing in Africa. Thank you for your amazing work. You can find uh, the links to all the ways to support on greensmoothiegirl.com slash Mothers Without Borders. And again, just to review, you can support uh, support and educate a child, uh, feed and educate a child for $40 a month. Um, you can support a child who, let's see, $250 a month, these higher needs kids who are coming out of an abusive situation or human trafficking for $250 a month through the Children's Resource Center. There are some other opportunities. You can also send your own child on an expedition for, I think it's 10 days in Zambia. So you'll, you'll hear from Mothers Without Borders if you get connected to them through our big fundraiser here. But I am really hoping 
to raise a significant life-changing amount of money for um, Kathy and her many, many volunteers and just a few workers who they don't make a lot of money, but they've made this their life's work because it's, it's so rewarding to be a citizen of the world who understands that we are the strangers, that um, these many people in poverty and desperate circumstances rely on. So thank you so much for being on The Vibe Show, Kathy Headley. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robin. And Robin, thank you for your continued generosity. You've always been such a great friend and such a great supporter. I love you. It's my pleasure. I love you too. 